Okay. Greetings, everyone. Hello. Salutations. Um, before we dive in tonight, um, this is a heck of a week. Um, but uh, two kind of announcements. So first of all, so I want to introduce Matthew. He's new. He moved here three days ago from Syracuse. So our job as a church community is to make him feel welcome. And so at the break, go introduce yourself. Yeah. I know, right? I know. So have you been watching online? That's the lighter note. Heavier note. Colin and his wife Beth, who are normally here. Um, I think I last week we talked about this. So Colin's sister died about two weeks ago. Yeah. Is that right? Lisa. Tomorrow I have her funeral, and just super hard. She died of breast cancer. She was like 53. Just devastating. I know with two of her kids today, I just like broke my heart. Oh. So we just want to pray for Lisa and for her family. And so we'll do that. Um, and then we'll jump in, okay? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, we bless and praise you uh, tonight. And again, Lord, uh, we try to surrender our days. Uh, whatever happened today, whatever we're stressed about, uh, whatever is on our hearts, Lord, may you free us to be focused on you. Pray for everyone here tonight, everyone watching online. Uh, pray for those entering the church. And Lord, we ask you that you would bless them abundantly, give them joy and peace. Uh, tonight we pray in a special way for Lisa Berry, uh, that she would be welcomed home. We pray for her family, uh, for the healing of any uh, wounds, uh, for comfort and sorrow. Um, Lord, that you would just be with them. Um, and so we pray for them and we pray, Hail Mary. Full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All right. Um, so we've got um, lots of ground to cover because I'm always behind. Um, but before we do that, so um, I want to open it up for questions in general, but also um, we've done scrutinies in the right of election, the first scrutiny in the right of election, and I don't know if anybody wants to share how that felt um, or anything that just, I don't know, that maybe God did for you in that moment. Um, just want to open up. Can I sponsor? Yeah, yeah of course. Um, can I go? <laughs> it was my candidate, and I was um, surprised at how moved I was. Mm. It was, blame your mother, can I blame your mother? <laughs> yes, blame my mother for your emotion. Um, um. It was just beautiful to see the reverence from everybody that, that yeah. you put your hands on, and, and then after you took your hands off and you left, their body language had changed. Yeah. I mean, they were humble, yeah. and I just thought it was just an amazing, I, I was totally blown away. I did not think that that was going to, to happen. It was beautiful. 
Thank you for sharing that. What you told me was you wanted to know what to pray. Yeah, I know. And it's a good question, actually. Let me answer it, actually. I mean, jokingly, jokingly, joking aside. So when I prayed over those of you who I prayed over on Sunday, um, it's a very simple prayer. And I just asked God to pour his Holy Spirit into you and to give you peace as you approach the church. Patrick. Uh, so Steph wasn't there on Sunday, and I filled in, and myself in the rookie. I definitely skipped over a few people in that, and it's the same prayer. I think it's important to understand that it's the same prayer that FB also acknowledged of the entire group. So there were several people that were missed that yeah. that truly did not get their like actual physically touched and prayed over, but it's the same acknowledgement in the general prayer that you did. Um, and if that did happen, it was a total accident. And I literally had no idea what the hell I was doing. They handed me a bunch of papers that were like, here's the scrutiny. And so I was like, I don't know what the scrutinies are, fine. And we figured it out, but we may have missed people. And if we did, I am truly sorry about that. And Yep. There's totally, FB will 100% do the same prayers over you if you feel like you're being called to that, and that's great. But it was definitely, yeah. I, I had no idea what I was doing, and I kind of <laughs> got thrown into that scenario. Uh, but I, I definitely want to acknowledge that, because I do know that if you were left out, that is, um, that's not a great feeling. So I want to honor that, and I'll let, I'll let yeah. you pick that up and clean that up. Yeah, and and I should so if yeah, online people, some people miss getting prayed over on Sunday, um, and that actually is not your fault. That's me just always being behind. Um, but what what these what the scrutinies are about is it's like we've talked about marriage as an analogy for becoming Catholic, and these are steps on the way. They're not a hundred percent necessary, but they are helpful. And if, if, so, if you didn't get prayed over on Sunday, if you're at home or you're here, that, of course, was not intentional. But let's just, I'm happy to pray over you anytime. And so I'd encourage you to come talk to me. Like, any master act, just grab me at the end, and we'll go into the sanctuary and the church, and we'll do it. And it'll be beautiful. Okay? Questions about anything? Anybody want to share anything else? This is totally random, but what's your stance on stuff like zodiac signs or like astrology or anything like that? So I'm a Leo. <laughs> I think I am at least. <laughs> so the question was about zodiac signs. So the church, it's a great question. The church is really against these things, and, and there's a simple reason why. So zodiac and astrology and these kinds of things, it's a caricature of religion. And so um, what a lot of these things are about is, um, I don't know if I want to use this word, but I'm just going to use it, is that what Christ calls us to is to faith. And oftentimes what magic and astrology and zodiac and these things are about, now I know a lot of people just, it's kind of a fun thing, they like to open the paper, and I know they don't intend this, but at root, things have meaning, and at root in the ancient world, these things are about manipulation. And so it's not that I trust God and I surrender my life to him. It's um, I'm going to control God 
and I need to know the future. And a Christian is called to say, Lord, I surrender to you. And I know that the future might not be easy, but I know that you will be there. And so the church is, one thing related to that I just hit on is like um, Ouija boards. Ouija boards, like, it sounds like, you know, it kind of sounds like a, like Goonies, right, or like Stranger Things or something. They're actually real. All a Ouija board is is divination. It's something that was around in the ancient world. And then in like, you know, 1978 or something, Parker Brothers said, we could make money off of this. And they made it a board game. But it's actually a very ancient practice. <clears throat> and sometimes there are spiritual things that are just real. So, so Catholics are really called to avoid. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I, like I will tell you, like I, um, I've had people who have come to me and like, you know, I, I'm a skeptic. If you if you know me at all by this point in RCIA, when someone comes to me and they're like, Father Brian, God spoke to me, or Father Brian, this demon, or this, I'm, I'm like, uh-huh. <laughs> and my first answer is to be a skeptic, but it's real. It happens, and you will meet people who are like me, who are skeptics, who are like, one more story about this, not to freak you out. People love stories about the demonic. I don't know why they do, but they do. <laughs> when I was in college, I had this big conversion to the faith at CU Boulder, as I always say, the most Catholic place on earth. Um, Especially this past year. <laughs> right, oh, with the riot. Um, but I was in Boulder <clears throat> my senior year, I had this huge conversion earlier in, in like my sophomore year. But my senior project, I was in the business school, and my um, partner I was assigned to for my senior capstone project, um, great girl, I, uh, we became really close friends, but we worked well together. And she was an immigrant from Vietnam. And she just got to know me, and she knew that I was really religious, and et cetera, et cetera. And we spent a lot of time together, and at one point she said, I would never tell anyone this, but she's like, because no one would believe me, but she's like, when I was a little girl in Vietnam, there was a kid possessed by a demon in my classroom. And she was like, I was in class one day, and this kid ran up the side of the wall and across the ceiling. And he was like running back and forth on the ceiling. And she told me, she's like, I've never told anyone this because they would think I'm insane. But she's like, I know I can tell you because I know that you understand these things. And I was like, I don't think that happened. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I was like, I reverenced it. I was like, and I do think that happened. Those things are real. They really do happen. There's a healthy skepticism. We don't have to believe every story someone tells us. How did I get on this? I don't know. I don't know how I got on this. But those things are real. And like, um, there's stuff out there that happens. Now, as Catholics, right, right like, we don't give a lot of attention to, to Satan and to his minions. They've been defeated. They're real. You don't have to be scared of them. The demonic kind of stuff happens. Um, I know a number of exorcists. It's not Hollywood. And they always, I'm always reassured by them because they just seem 
Like, man, these guys are exactly what I would hope they would be. The two exorcists I know best, which is an odd sentence. <laughs> um, what I love about them is they, they just get, they, they make perfect sense to me. And what they say is they say, look, Satan is not this dramatic, crazy thing. Um, the exorcist in Denver, I know him quite well. And when he works with people who are experiencing demonic things, it's not like a magic formula where you say these eight words and this happens. What he tries to do is a Christian life is about the love of God and repentance. And so what he does is he prays with people. And there's, there can be weird things that happen, but he'll say, have you, he'll try to get them to repent. And so in your life, if you become Catholic, you don't have to be scared of demons. If you are baptized, if you are trying to follow Jesus Christ, you're not in a lot of danger. These kinds of things tend to happen when we mess with things we shouldn't mess with. Okay, other questions? I would just like to add something. Yes. That is a cool thing when you, when you are Catholic or Christian or whatever, is getting your house blessed, especially if someone else has lived there. Not to be all creepy, but I learned about that when I was in college, also at University of Catholic Boulder. <laughs> um, anyway, and I now we always I will forever get my house blessed, and it's a really cool experience yep. if you've done it. And they just the, like Father Brian will come over and just put holy water in the rooms and say a prayer over your house, and just it just makes it's just a cool thing to do, and it really brings peace of mind. So I highly recommend that. And you can just, not to bombard you now with <laughs> but I think it's a good thing to do. It is a good thing. Yeah. And so if you didn't hear, if you're online, getting your house blessed is good to do. Satan is real. Demons are real. They absolutely are. But we have Christ's authority over them. Um, yeah. So on the topic of the supernatural, um, can you talk about, I guess, like ghosts or spirits or... <clears throat> If there can be a physical presence of souls in purgatory on earth? Yep. So the answer is yes. So the question is, ghosts, spirits, can there be a spiritual presence of a person on earth without their physical presence? The answer is yes. I wish our local exorcist was here because he, he was my director, my spiritual director for a number of years. He's amazing. But anyway, the answer is yes. There can be a tie to that. So we don't, so what is a ghost or a spirit? So you have a body, you have a soul. When you die, those two things are separated. Um, that's the definition of death. Now, we don't think there's just like a ghost. Like there are angels, there are good angels, there are fallen angels. An angel that is fallen is referred to as a demon. Um, those are real, um, but usually when there's things that are going on, and like, and I get calls about this, and oftentimes there is something that like there's a there can be some kind of connection to a soul in purgatory. That's the most common thing in my understanding. Um, this is not, by the way, my area of expertise, but <clears throat> what you do in that case, and like I we have parishioners here who like they're like okay. I'm not this kind of person, but Father Brian, and they always preface it that way. 
you know, everyone always starts with, okay, I'm not crazy. Um, and they're not. This stuff happens. And not always, but oftentimes, there's a soul maybe lived in that house before who's in purgatory and needs prayers. And so what I'll go and do is we'll pray just over the house, we'll cross the house. If it's serious enough sometimes, we'll, um, I'll say a mass in a person's house. And we offer that prayer for maybe a soul who's in purgatory. And God knows. We don't have to know the answer. It's like we trust God. We say, God, whatever is going on, we would like you know, for you to just help us with this. Um, <clears throat> if it's something that I feel is gets beyond my kind of, I don't know what's going on here, then I call our local exorcist. Doesn't that sound funny? You call, your, call, you call your local state farm agent or your local exorcist. And I have done that many times. I call my local exorcist. <clears throat> yeah, right? Thank yeah. I just thank you for an 80s reference. Thank you. Um, but I've called him a number of times. And one thing you should know is exorcists are very well aware of like the difference between psychological problems and someone who has real demonic things happening. Um, I referred one person at one point who I was like, I just don't know what's going on. I just can't tell. And I was pretty early in priesthood, and the exorcist called me back. He's like, Brian, clearly psychological. What's wrong with you? I'm like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm like, I'm sorry. Okay, other questions? We got to keep moving if there's not too many. Yeah. Real quick, I just, I mean, Denver is kind of an interesting place for me uh, in the Midwest, but for a while I had like a yoga community here, sort of spiritualism. Yeah. Like, any, any opinions or. Yeah, so yoga, so um, this one's always a hard question for me. So <clears throat> here's how I would say it. The exorcist I know, again, don't say that sentence too often. The exorcist I know would tell you to steer clear. And the reason they would say that is like, there's nothing wrong with stretching. And I think, you know, 99% of people who go to a yoga class, they're just stretching. Um, but oftentimes, like, we can do things that have meanings that we don't intend. Story about this. So when I was in, like, I don't know, first grade or something, um, one of my earliest memories, I got, I was in class, and the teacher said, hey, who wants to take a note to the principal for me? You know, and every single kid in class raises their hand. And so I raised my hand. The teacher said, okay, Brian, why don't you take this to the principal? She tricked me. And what it was, was there was a note on there about me. And it said, Brian has been sticking up his middle finger in class. Would you talk to him about it? So I go to the principal and I hand her this note. You know? <laughs> 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 like, I know, that's like a dirty trick. <laughs> but anyway, so I'm sitting in the principal's office. And the principal asked me, she said, Brian, do you know what, what it means if you hold up your middle finger? And I was like, I have and honestly, I really didn't. I really didn't know, but the point I'm driving at is that um, even though I didn't intend to say that, at least in our culture, that gesture means something, right? So similarly, there are certain things that you might not intend anything, and someone, someone like on the street, they might not mean anything by saying the name of Jesus in vain. But even if they don't intend that, it has a meaning. And so, um, so someone, for instance, and one of my friends made this point to me, is like, you know, if someone doesn't know what it means, but they, they do this, 
that carries a meaning. And so in yoga, a lot of the gestures are tied to very ancient pagan practices. So that's what I would say. But that being said, God is not a tyrant, and God does not punish people for things they don't know. Yeah, Michelle. Just to add to that, I used to teach yoga. And I don't teach anymore, but I, I practice. And how I overcame that was that I always invite Jesus. When you're standing and standing Shavasana, I always invite Jesus into my practice. Yep. So my whole like practice is like if I'm doing dancer's pose, but Jesus is there holding my hand keeping me upright, and that's how I was able to come, because I love yoga. I mean, it's a beautiful experience yeah. that I used to come, and I, and I always pray at the end of class, which is always kind of weird, because I'm going in there, doing this. Yeah. So I think you can find a, a really good balance between that without getting caught up in the paganism. It can, yeah. it can become spiritual. And, and there's like Catholic yoga out there now, and the, the other tension to this, and this is why this is always a hard tension for me, because naturally I land on the other side, like where I'm like, and like, so like in First Corinthians, St. Paul, like there's the question of can we eat if, you, if there's a sacrifice to a pagan idol and people are sacrificing to a pagan idol, there's a barbecue afterwards because they just sacrificed eight animals. And what are you going to do with the animals? Well, you throw them on the barbecue and you have a barbecue. And one of the main questions in First Corinthians is can we eat that meat? And in that, and in First Corinthians, Saint Paul says, "There's only one God. Meat is meat." What he ends up saying is, he says, "But don't do it if it's going to freak out another Christian, if it's going to scandalize another Christian." And so for me, like, there's a tension here of like, Christianity isn't about what exercise routine you do; it's about faith, hope, and love. That's what it's about. But also, if, but if I know, like, I'll give you one more example, and then we, we're going to move on to class. The, um, the, um, <clears throat> Harry Potter's a similar thing. I love the Harry Potter books. And somebody asked this with a different exorcist. Just kind of like saying exorcist. <laughs> and, and again, I loved his response. Was He was like, no, there absolutely is demonic stuff attached to it. But what he said is he said, it's not a huge deal. He said it's, it's a very low-level thing. And he was like, for most people, they have much more serious sins in their day-to-day -day life. And, they're, and if they're worried about Harry Potter, they're probably fixated on the wrong things. And I'm like, and I love that answer. I was like, Christianity isn't about this. But I went home after that conference and I threw out all my Harry Potter books. Because I was like, in J.K. Rowling, like, we want to see the good in people, but the occult, New Age things are real things. And if there is anything in my life that is opposed to Jesus Christ, it's gone. Um, another thought on my question is it true that Satan can't, cannot read or know your thoughts? I don't know the answer. The question was is it true that Satan cannot know or read your thoughts? I am not certain about that. I'm just going to punt on that. I don't know the answer to that. So, sorry. Yeah. Can I make a statement? Mm -hmm. There was a pastor I grew up with in church who gave an analogy that like when Christ died, he descended to hell to defeat sin and the devil, right? He sort of likened it to 
Well, the devil's still there, but he's already in jail. He can't touch you, he yeah. can't be traced to his posse. And in a way, his 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 exclamation possession is really just us listening. It's our sins consuming us and taking over. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so Satan has been defeated. There's it's not anything to be scared of. Sometimes people get too worried about Satan and I'm like, he's been defeated. You have nothing to fear. The right way to live your Christian life is not to fear Satan, it's to love God. At the same time, um, St. Paul, for instance, in Ephesians 6, will tell us that our battle is a spiritual battle. And so in Ephesians chapter 6, St. Paul talks about all the kind of armor and the weapons that we are to take up in our spiritual fight against Satan. So, spiritual warfare is real. And let me just leave you with this last thing. The best way to fight spiritual warfare is to love God and to live a life of holiness. It's not about, I bought this special, like, rosary, and if I say these three prayers, then I'm fine. That's not Christianity. Christianity is, I love Jesus Christ, I receive the sacraments, and, I, and I'm obedient to him. That's spiritual warfare. Okay, can we move on? Okay, so we finished Eucharist, which is always hard for me because I could spend like a full RCI like year just on Eucharist. Um, so now we need to keep moving. Um, so confession tonight. I was just going to write confession. I don't have to do that. Okay. So I wish I had handouts. I'm just, this week has been the week from H-E double hockey sticks. So I'm sorry I don't have a handout tonight. But here's what we're going to do. So to understand confession, there's a, just a couple of key principles you have to understand. The first one, and we've already hit on it in class, is that God works through people. Okay. So God, people, uh, you. Something like that. So my guess is that uh, someone helped you come to RCI. We've talked about this before in class, right? The um, In the Old Testament, this is, and all through the New Testament, this is in every story. God does not need human beings. He doesn't have to work this way. He doesn't need us. But God loves to work through people. So when God redeems the Jews out of slavery, he sends Moses. You know the answers to this, but I'm just going to ask anyways. Does God need Moses? No. Of course not. Right? It begins right at the beginning of the Bible. In Genesis chapter 1, God names things. God created the light. He calls the light uh, day and the darkness. He calls night. God saw that it was good. He names things all through Genesis 1. In Genesis 2, he marches all these animals in front of Adam, and he shares his job with Adam. And Adam names, gives names to every creature on earth. And that comes from Genesis 1, 26 to 27, because man is the image of God in the world. God is not jealous. You and I get jealous, right? When, when people say, hey, Father Brian, Father so-and-so gave a better sermon than you. I'm like, what I should be like is like, that is so great. Praise God. Glory to God. And I say that. But I don't mean it. <laughs> right? Interior, I'm like, that guy sucks. And if you had any taste, you know, you would never say that. That's because I'm a broken, sinful man. 
Okay? God's not like that. God is not a jealous God in that sense. Right? God is, you know, the, the people who are the most confident are the people who are the strongest. My buddy Micah, who um, teaches at Holy Family High School, Woo! Steph went there. Um, <laughs> he, like, people all the time will talk about how strong they are and how fit they are. Micah tested in the top 1% of fitness in a special unit of Air Force, like, special ops guys. And he never, he never talked about it because he's such a badass he didn't have to. And we used to work out together, and he would destroy me in every workout, and he had never told me this. So I was like, I'm going to take him on a run up to the top of Green Mountain and Boulder, and then he's going to suffer. And of course, he kicked my butt. And I, was, and I just lost it on him at the top of Green Mountain. I was like, you are such a jerk. I'm like, I'm, like, I'm a fit priest. You know, not now, but back then I was. And he was like, yeah, I probably should have told you. And, but anyway, point being, people who are not insecure... They're not jealous. God isn't jealous. He works through people and it doesn't threaten him. So he works through Moses. He works through Adam. Um, he works through Joshua. Right? He works through King David. A prophet. We talked about this before. What's the definition of a prophet? Make me feel like a good teacher. Somebody who speaks the word of God. Yeah, someone who speaks the word of God. And I usually say for God. Does God need anyone to speak for him? No. Of course not. That's absurd. Of course he doesn't. But God has Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Baruch, right? His Zephaniah and Haggai and your favorite of mine, Habakkuk, right? He has prophets that speak for him. God does not need someone to speak for him, but he loves to work through people. Okay, so in the New Testament, right, God, the same paradigm happens. So there's, there's passages like this all over the place. So in Matthew 10, we've done this before. When we talked about authority, we talked about this. So in Matthew 1 through 10, Jesus goes about all through Israel, and he heals the sick, he preaches the gospel, he casts out demons, and he does all these amazing things. In Matthew chapter 10, he sends out the 12 apostles, and he gives them his job. He says, go heal the sick, cast out demons, proclaim the kingdom, right? Do the things that I have been doing, and they do. Right? So Jesus hands on his job to others. Okay, that's, that's one great example. Um, did I see a hand? No, okay. So Jesus hands on his authority. He works through people. This happens all throughout the New Testament. Um, Paul, so right now I'm reading a lot of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 4.1. Paul says that this is how one ought to regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. So Paul says that him and his co-workers are stewards. What's a steward mean? Caretaker. Good answer, yeah, caretaker, right? Remember, like, um, what's his name? Who's the steward of Gondor? Denethor. Don't pretend like you don't know this. Nigel, hold your head up high. Be proud of it. <laughs> I reject to 
We reject all that stuff. A steward is someone who has been entrusted with something that doesn't belong to them. Jesus loves to talk about stewardship in the gospel. He uses the, that image a lot. So does St. Paul. And Paul says that God has entrusted, he's made him a steward of his mysteries. The Greek word for mystery is, that's what it's translated to. You're jumping ahead though. The Greek word for mystery is just mysterion, but when St. Jerome translates that to Latin, the Latin translation of mystery is Sacramentum. So, and this is this is crazy. So, in Second Corinthians, we should look at that, or First Corinthians. Um, So this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Um, down in verse 15, Paul says, For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. Right? By the way, you know how people say you should never call a man father because Jesus says that in the Gospels? Well, Paul right, doesn't get that memo. Paul says, um, I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Um, I urge you then to be imitators of me. Basically, Paul's going to talk, and in 2 Corinthians, we'll talk about this too. Um, God has entrusted him with something. He's handed something precious on to Paul. Does God need to hand something precious on to Paul? No, of course he doesn't have to. So there's tons of passages about this. Um, the two most important ones, kind of for our purposes tonight, um, are Matthew 16, 18, and also 18, 18. Remember Matthew 16, 18? Yeah. What is it? I'll let you handle it. Yeah, let me handle it. Okay. Um, Matthew 16, 18 is a passage all of you should know. Matthew 16, 18 is where Jesus gives us the papacy. So that's where, you know, Jesus says, um, who do men say that I am? And the apostles say, well, some say Elijah, some say John the Baptist, or one of the prophets. And Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, uh, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say to you, you are Peter, and on this rock... I will build my church. I will give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. So there's this authority that's given there. And the same thing happens in 1818. And then here's the clincher, and then I'll let you guys come back at me and we can move on if you want. Um, in John 20, verse 20 is the is the verse. And I, I don't know why I'm turning there. I just, I know it. So, um, but if you want to look that up, it's John 20, 20 and following. I think we, did we talk about this at all? 
I don't know. Okay, so <clears throat> what happens in John 20, 20, is after the resurrection, and Jesus appears to the 12 apostles, or the 11 at that point. Judas has hung himself. He appears to the 11 apostles, and he breathes on them. And why does that matter? Do you remember? Yeah, so so Jen's right. So he's and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. The word in Hebrew for breath and spirit is the same word. It's ruah. But he breathes on them and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, here's a cool thing. There's only one other place in all the Bible where God breathes on someone. Genesis, when God creates and he breathes into him the breath of life. The, church, the early Christians understand this, and the church understands here that God breathes spiritual life on the apostles. And then he says to them, he says, Receive the Holy Spirit, whose sins you forgive are forgiven. Whose sins you retain are retained. So we're going to pause here in a second, but here it's very similar language to Matthew 16, 18, and Matthew 18, 18. But if you're a scripture Christian, and if you're not, I still want you to get the concept. Um, what's happening here is Jesus is entrusting authority to forgive sins to the first priests of the church. So there's, there's, imagine, right, like, let's say if Patrick and Stephanie are king and queen of Colorado, okay? Um, and what happens is we have had it with them because they're chumps. So you and I, we all start a rebellion. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, so, so we start a rebellion and we're like, you know what? No more of the Devenis. Like, we've had their tyranny. Don't give me that look. Um, and so we fight against them, we lose and so Patrick and Stephanie exile us, they say as punishment for your rebellion, you have to go live in Kansas, sorry if anyone's in Kansas um, but you have to go live in Kansas, okay um, and uh, so we go live in Kansas and at a certain point right, here, here's the analogy is if you were like, I am so sorry I started that rebellion. I shouldn't have done that. She never listened to Father Brian. He's such a snake. Um, I want to be reconciled to Patrick and Stephanie. Um, Patrick and Stephanie, they could send an envoy. And they send Michelle. And Michelle's with them and they say, Michelle, you have our authority. And anyone who is willing to change their ways, has our forgiveness. This is the New Testament's understanding of the forgiveness of sins. Now, if Michelle carries it, if she goes to all of us and says, hey, anybody who wants to come back to the kingdom is welcome, as long as you're sorry, you can come back. Who's forgiving us? Is it Michelle or is it the divinities? That's right. And that's critical. It's the divinities. Michelle is the vehicle. She's the way by which the divinity would forgive us. 
That's what Catholics believe about confession. So when I'm in the confessional, I don't forgive you. I, I carry the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And that's so critical because people will come to confession and if you haven't been before when you go, right, you'll, you'll be tempted to be like, FB, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, <laughs> right? It's not about me. It's about, it's about God. Um, okay, that's a lot. There's more. But let's pause. Questions, thoughts, rebuttals. Yeah. Um, so with this in mind, like, as a person who has received the Holy Spirit in the past, like, does this apply to me? Like, can I forgive with the authority of Christ? No. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so the question was, can, can any baptized person forgive? And the answer is no. Because, and here's, and the main reason why is because the... Jesus, when he breathes on the apostles and gives his authority, he's not giving this to every Christian. And the, again, this it's hard to say this in the early church. There's there's not too many things that everyone believes. The early church universally understands that the twelve apostles are the priests of the new covenant. Universally. And so this, this question of whether or not the apostles are, are the priests of the New Covenant, this isn't called into question until much, much, much later. Um, and so, and so the, the early church heard this, held this universally. Um, and the priests in the Old Temple, what they do, right, is they, they offer sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. Priests of the New Covenant do the same thing. We offer the Mass for the forgiveness of sins, but the vehicle by which our more serious sins are forgiven is through confession. So if my son doesn't honor me, yep. and he comes to me and says, I'm sorry, uh -huh. I forgive him, yep. but that's not enough? Yeah, great question. So if so, let me repeat it for the online folks. So if Michelle's son comes to her and says, I didn't honor you, I, I'm so sorry, and Michelle forgives him, that's not enough. And he, here's the idea, is that um, the, when we sin, there's always three parties involved. So if I sin, it's, if it's me and I sin against Michelle, you're not my mom, but um, if you're my friend and I slash your tires, right, um, there, there's always a sin committed against you, but also towards God. And the priest in the confessional is a representative of God, but also of the church. So, so think about it this way. The, the modern world thinks that sin is, can be private. Um, so, um, I don't know. If I'm online and I'm a, um, what do they, do they call them, trolls, when you write the nasty comments on articles yeah. or whatever, if I'm online, I'm a troll, and I'm like writing nasty things to people, it might be easy to think, well, that only affects me and that person. But don't we all know that our sin affects all of us? If you, if you become a nasty person, what the world needs, we need each other. And the church believes in some sense all of us are tied together, not like in some like kind of new age, like 
one, we have the same soul kind of thing. But in the way of like, we need communion. And if you're not the person you're supposed to be, that actually makes my life a little more difficult. The world is less than it should be. So the priest acts as, so in your example, Michelle, the priest also acts as someone who offers the forgiveness of God. Because you've broken his commandment by not obeying your parents. Not honoring them. But also the priest, this also answers why can I just go in my room and pray to God? Um, and let's do one more thing with that. So people will say, by the way, uh, St. James, I forget exactly the, the verse. St. James says that we should confess our sins to one another, which echoes Isaiah chapter 1. Um, yes, we should. We, appropriately, right? Like, don't go outside and like find some random person or see that like, I'm a troll. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's weird, and they're going to be like, don't touch me, you know? <laughs> but, like, we should confess our sins to each other, even outside of sacramental confession. It's good to do that, because what happens, we all know this, every one of us have been in this room, every single one of us has a sin that we're embarrassed by. And sin, when it is in darkness, when you keep it in darkness, sin has authority over you. When you bring it to the light, it loses its power. And so the New Testament, and so James will tell us that just as Christians, we should do that. We should be vulnerable with each other and say, you know, sister or brother, I am struggling with this sin. And you know what happens then? It's so beautiful. At Lord's, right, you've heard me say this, everyone thinks everyone else is perfect except them. I get people in my office all the time, they're like, Father Brian, I'm not like other people at Lord's. I'm like, <laughs> tell me. <laughs> We're all broken. And you know what happens is when we are able to surrender ourselves and say, I'm a broken man, and I'm a sinner and I need God, people don't despise you, they love you more. The most powerful moment I've ever seen in RCIA, uh, three or four years ago, one of my best friends got pregnant out of wedlock, and she had Steph's role. It wasn't Steph. Um, she had Steph's role, and she was running RCIA, and she got pregnant out of wedlock, and she thought that I would condemn her. Which I was like, come on, you know me. She's a very close friend. But her sin, because it was in the dark, had authority over her. And she kept asking me these cryptic questions, and she was like, she's like, FB, like, um, what if someone came to you, and you know, and I'm like, it's like that thing of like, you know, what if my friend, you know, feels like, you know, and I was like, what is going on? So finally she came clean, and I was like, of course I'm not going to shame you. Of course I'm not going to kick you out. I love you. Right? Like, I'll get emotional as I do every class. But I was like, we're going to walk through this together. And it's okay. And God's mercy is real. We all make mistakes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But she was terrified about, like, how she would look in front of the RCIA class. And I don't know, three or four years ago, I told her, I said, look, you, your decision is yours. You can do whatever you want to do. 
But I said, everyone at Lord's thinks that everyone else is perfect and that God could never really love them because they're not perfect. So my very good friend went in front of the RCIA class and told them all her story. It's the most powerful thing I've like ever seen. It was so beautiful. And when she was able to say, I love God, I'm a very devout Catholic, and I made a mistake, now she has two little kids who she loves very, very much, and they had, her and her husband are married. And, um, but it was one of those moments where it was so good for everyone else because it was like the church is not the place of those who are perfect. It's a, it's a place where it's a hospital for sinners. I love that stuff. So we had to confess our sins to each other. Oh, and this is what I was going to get to. Remember the I-25 analogy. So if someone says, Father Brian, can I just go to God and ask him to forgive me? And I'm like, of course you can. But do I know that that's going to, like, the way that you're going to be forgiven? I don't. Um, do I think that God sends other Christians to hell outside of Catholicism? I don't. Do I know that? No. Um, here's what I, the way, so the way I say this is, if we're on, if I-25, right, is here, and you and me are over here, we're happy, um, right? And you say to me, you say, hey, FB, I need to get across I-25, right? How do I get across? And I remember this, but we're going to do it anyways. What I would say to you is I would say, hey, just over here, there's a bridge. That's a bridge. Uh, I'd say, hey, just, just 300 yards down the walkway, there's a bridge. Take you right over I-25. And if you said to me, hey, okay, cool, but I don't want to take the bridge. I just, what if I just ran across I-25? Can, is it possible that you could make it across I-25 without getting hurt? It's possible. Yeah, you absolutely could. Would I recommend you try it? No, because I love you all very, very much. Right? So if you want to play Frogger, it's possible. You want to go into your room and confess your sins to God? I actually think that's a, a good thing to do. I do that when I commit a sin, at least one that's more serious. Before I can get to confession, I'll do that. And then I take the bridge. And you know why? Because Jesus Christ has promised that all sins will be forgiven by those who go to one of the priests of the new covenant to confess our sins. Okay, right, that's a lot. Questions? So how often do you meet? I mean, you guys just talked about this in one of your podcasts. I mean, mm -hmm. I know Patrick was neurotic about it. He thought he had to go away. Right? <laughs> a lot of people do that. You know, You're a little red. Like, what is, what is Yep. Like, I know myself that I sin a lot more than just mine. Yep. So how often do you go? So the, the, the official teaching of the church is you should go when you, when you commit a mortal sin. And we're going to go more into detail on this when we get to the section on morality, which is hopefully like, if it's, it's probably next class, honestly. Um, there's three conditions for a mortal sin. So the, the distinction is mortal sin. And by the way, we all know this. We, like, we're all sinners. We all need God's redemption. But there are sins that are more serious than others. Um, Paul says this. James says this. And we all know it. Right? Um, 
going like two miles an hour over the speed limit, which I'm not sure is a sin, but let's just say it is. Um, if it is, I could be in trouble, um, especially when I cut you off, right? And you're like, that was Father Brian. I'm like, you know. <laughs> um, that's a lot different than me, like, than someone who intentionally tries to destroy your life, right? There's, there's a difference there. So for a mortal sin, the church says you have to go to confession if you have a mortal sin. Mortal sin means it is what we call grave matter. And what that means is it's serious. So we're not talking here about, um, I told a white lie. Um, I went a little over the speed limit. People come to confessions and be like, I was late for church. Like, I've never confessed that, and I'm late for church sometimes. But it can't start without me now. Um, <laughs> which probably that's actually a worse sin. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so it has to be something serious. It can't, it's not, this is not little stuff. This is like, this is like, I committed adultery. This is like, I, um, I tried to destroy my friend's life. I publicly humiliated someone. I don't know. Big things. You have to know it's a full knowledge. So you can't, you cannot be um, in mortal sin if you didn't know it was wrong. So you have to know it's wrong, and you have to have, um, I should say sufficient, not full, but sufficient. And you have to have sufficient freedom. So sin, and we'll get about, when we get to the moral pillar, we're going to talk about this. Sin is about choice. Sin is not about I made a mistake. That's, it's about a free choice. I know this is wrong. I know it's kind of a big deal. I'm going to do it anyways. That's a mortal sin. Now, is that only if you can see the image? Um, you should do it anyways, honestly. Um, venial sin, if it's a smaller thing, venial sin is forgiven. And, if, and all three of those have to be there for it to be a mortal sin. If it's a venial sin, it's forgiven by tons of things. If venial sin is forgiven at the beginning of Mass when we say the, the penitential rite, a venial sin is forgiven if you do something charitable for a poor person. Um, a venial sin is, can be forgiven if you make an act of love towards God. There's all kinds of ways. Those are not big deals. Okay, yeah. I'm hung up on the cycling back analogies. Why okay. is crossing without a bridge? What, where is the uncertainty come from if you're praying to God? Because God has never promised that that's the vehicle by which he will forgive sin. So if I say you know, God died for me on the cross, just tell him your sins and you're forgiven. The problem is, is that God has never promised that my sin will be forgiven by me just telling him I'm sorry for my sins. Bless you. Yeah. So when you say sufficient knowledge, say you didn't know you committed a mortal sin and then it came to light yep. and you realized you did that before you knew. Mm -hmm. Then what? You can still confess it. If you, if you didn't know, you confess it later. What we mean by sufficient is, so like, and I'm going to come back to your question, by the way. Um, what we mean by sufficient is, there are certain things that you, you may not have fully known, mm -hmm. but you, you're still responsible for that. So like, if, if, if I'm drunk driving, and I get pulled over by a cop, and the cop says, yep, you tested positive, you're drunk driving, 
And I said, well, I didn't know I was drunk. <laughs> right? The cop can legitimately say to me, well, you should have. Yeah. Right? Like, you have sufficient knowledge to know. Father Brian, you have sufficient knowledge to know that if you have three bourbons, <laughs> you're probably not sober. Yeah. Okay. According to the state of Colorado. <laughs> right. Okay, so, but the I-25, let me finish that really quick. So the, the, the point is, is like, do I think God's a merciful God? 100%. Do I think people who don't go to Catholic sacramental confession are necessarily going to hell? I don't. I really don't. But what I do know is that God gave us a bridge. Priests, the priesthood. Yeah, and sacramental confession. Right. And I know that this is scriptural, clear as day in scripture, the concept is there, the explicit passage is there, and all, again, that's a big word for me, when you, you can't say that about too many things, but when all of early Christianity holds this to be true, that's a pretty big deal. And when Christians have believed this for 2,000 years, my thing is like, you know, there are, as you've heard me say a thousand times in our CIA, there are Protestants and atheists and Buddhists who are far better people than I am. You know what I wish for every one of them? Is the bridge. I think Jonathan says if you forgive someone, you, they are forgiven. If you withhold their forgiveness, they are, they do not receive forgiveness. That, that's yeah, so that's the language in John twenty twenty one. Right? If you if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Um, and again, we've gone through this. If you need to look at your notes back, or if you want to talk to me, right? There's there's tons of scriptural evidence, and we'll, we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about priesthood tonight or next time. Um, that the the twelve apostles are the priests of the new covenant. They absolutely are. And Jesus institutes them as such. And so that, that's what's happening here. Um, and it's a great gift. And lastly, maybe one more thing on confession that I haven't touched on yet. Why would God do this? It's embarrassing. Try, and what I always say every year, try being a priest. Right? When you're a priest, I know like every priest in Denver. When I go to confession, and actually, and I'm not even this way anymore though. But you can't exactly be like, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. <laughs> right? Um, I'm a priest, and I told, you know, like, it just doesn't work. Um, and I wouldn't even try. Why would God do this? When you go, you're nervous. What's the chief sin of mankind? What's the number one sin, the greatest sin of mankind? Pride. You know what confession does? It humiliates you. And not in the shameful, it shouldn't be in the shameful way. Um, I should mention this, Stephen Patrick and I talk about this every year, is that if you ever go to a confession and a priest is mean to you, or is, or is harsh, or is shaming in the wrong way, he should never shame you anyways at all. Um, you get up and you walk out. And I 100% mean that. That priest did not die on the cross for you. He is not the one who gives you forgiveness. It is Jesus Christ. His job is very simply to love on you. If you need to be challenged, he can challenge you. 
But a priest who shames someone in the confessional, in my personal opinion, deserves to be tarred and feathered. Um, there's no room for that. And you get up and you leave and you come see me. Okay? Um, but why does God do this? I, it's really good for me, I like to pretend that I'm perfect. And I like to pretend that I don't have any faults. And I don't need God, I'm fine. It's really good for me to go to a priest and say, not just say it to God. If you go to your room and confess it to God, it doesn't cost you anything. It is humbling to go in front of another person and say, I have envy and jealousy in my heart and lust and judgment and hatred, etc., 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 and I, I did this. That's good for you. And you know what else is good for you? And at the end of confession, the best feeling on earth, there's no better feeling on earth, is to hear a priest of Jesus Christ, who is the authority of God himself, who's like Michelle, who's the emissary, to hear a priest of God say, I absolve you of your sins. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, there is no better feeling on earth. And that's why God did this, right? You don't just have a soul, you have a body. You have ears. The reason we have incense at mass is because you have nostrils. Right? Like God created us. And going in my room and saying, God, I'm sorry I did X, Y, and Z, that's good. I think you should do it. There's nothing like me having to stand in front of another human being and say, I'm, I really screwed up. It happens all the time. And you know what I think? I think... That's me, who goes to the same priest every two weeks, and I'm like, I still suck. <laughs> right? And I'm trying not to, but here's the thing, like, um, most of us have sins that have become habits, and we're working on them. That's okay. And again, and, and, and there's so many questions around this, we're going to do... Um, more time with you, those of you who are going to go to confession for the first time, and we'll talk about logistics, how you do it, what it feels like. We will do all of that. But I will tell you this. People always say, Father Brian, when you have someone who comes to confession and they go face-to-face, -face, don't you judge that person? The answer is no. And I'm dead, and I mean this a thousand percent. First of all, you can go behind the screen. Do I know your voice you're behind the screen? If you get to know me better, I will. And I'll just be honest about that, I will. At my first church, um, someone said, oh, the priests don't know your name if you're behind or who you are behind the screen. And there was one guy in our giant church that had an Australian accent. <laughs> I told you you're in trouble. <laughs> and this guy, Brendan, and he was like, oh, yeah, you do. And I was like, yeah, I do know who that is. Um, yes? I'll be on the flip side of He knows when I sit behind the screen. There's no doubt it's me. Uh, I can't talk I about it. I also know that if I went to him on Tuesday and I go back on Thursday, I'm like, ah, it's kind of awkward. But I just confess this. And there's this concept of like, 
priest hopping where I'll go to like another church to like avoid this repeating the same sin. And I think it's it's really funny when I first learned about it, but also being like it's kind of real, like it's 100% real, but also just noticing. And it's not a judgment, but it is like a, a reality of like, if that's showing up to you more than once and it and you're being led to avoid your regular priest, and in my case, Father Brian, out of embarrassment is kind of a thing where you, you do want to acknowledge, and it's not a judgment, but it is kind of like a, it is a habit, and habits yep. do form, so to notice that, and I don't know, I think the first time I learned about it, I was like, <laughs> I, I was going to like St. Anthony of Padua at 5.30 to like avoid Father Brian, Father Brian and like blah, 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 but now I can kind of just go to you and be like, yeah, man, I'm still struggling with this. And it's not a judgment, but to be able to like work it out. It's kind of like therapy. Is that a, sense of, is that a sense of pride? 100%, with, without a doubt. I mean, I would love to be like, oh yeah, I showed up on Tuesday and I got it fixed. You know, like no big deal. I'm not gonna think about it again. So then you battle that concept of pride and ego of like, oh, I don't have it battled so I'm going to go to Holy Ghost at 11 or yeah. Cathedral with Father Mike at 1230 <laughs> and they're they're not going to know the same things and you're like oh so glad you came to me it's, a, it's your first time <laughs> but it's not and it's just something to notice within yourself and I just say that because it's 100% me like I for sure did that and would bounce around based on like times and this pressure but it is something to notice of like, is it becoming a habit and how can you, like it's, now I can go to FB and be like, dude, 100% here's my confession, but it is a thing and how do I address it? And he's never, and now he know, I for sure knows my voice. It's not a judgment, but how do I work past it? Totally, and so you, what matters is not who you go to, it just matters if you go. So you don't have to get to the We've been answering a question for like a half hour, I feel like. Um, the church teaches you should go to confession if you're in a state of mortal sin and um, once a year. A good rule of thumb, I tell people, is once a month. It's a good rule of thumb. There is no, that is not Catholic teaching, though. That's just, I think, a good recommendation. The Catholic teaching is once a year or if you're in a state of serious sin. Um, and if you go more than a month without wondering if you're in a state of serious sin, like, I don't. I mean, and I could be wrong. I hope I am. I hope I go much longer than that. But, um, okay, other questions? We, we will answer all kinds of logistics about it, yeah. Um, is not attending Mass on Sunday, I know we have, like, yep. a dispensation currently, but not attending Mass or, like, missing Mass on Sunday and then coming to yep. Mass, um, Thank you for asking. So again, so I like, it's really important when we get to moral pillar, hopefully next class, um, these three categories are really important to make a distinction. Someone told me recently, not in confession, by the way, the priest, a priest cannot identify a person with a sin that they heard in confession, and that is a very serious thing. We call that the seal of confession. So if I somehow said, you know, Stephanie came to confession, and oh my gosh, she um, stole someone's identity. That sin is so serious for me 
to, to reveal that, that I can't just go to confession for that. Because the church wants you to be so confident that this is between you and God. If I ever did something like that, if I revealed a person and connected it to the sin they committed, I have to go to, to the Vatican to be absolved of that. And if it ever found, if the church, ever, if I ever did that, and the church found out, what would happen is they would remove my permission to act publicly as a priest immediately. So you should know this is very serious. We take it very, very seriously because we want people to know that it's a safe place. Yeah. What are the legal ramifications of that? Um, I don't know if there are legal ramifications. You could probably there could probably be lawsuits for like libel or slander or something. I just don't know. But for most priests, it's like if I if you if you and especially for a real sin, if, you, if someone confesses something grave. And by the way, right, like, like with the abuse crisis, states are trying to do that. States are trying to go the opposite way. They're trying to say, if a priest hears a confession of someone who confessed child abuse, they should have to confess that to the state. Church will never do that. Like bishops and priests, we all know, like, if the state of Colorado said, hey, Father Brian, if someone came to you and said they abused a child, that's horrible. And what I would do in that situation is I would tell that person they have to turn themselves in. But I can't reveal it. And if I did, my faculties as a priest would be removed immediately, and I would have a very serious thing to answer to God for. Even, even crime in action. Yep. Yeah, so the famous example of this, there's a great movie, and I say it every year we should watch it. We never do. There's a great movie called I Confess by Hitchcock. And the whole plot is about this. Is a Catholic priest are under the seal of confession, they can't reveal anything. And so there's a, a great Hitchcock movie, you should watch it. And I confess is about a priest who's framed for murder, but he heard the confessor in the confessional, and he can't say he's he's forbidden from saying anything, so he literally can't defend himself. And he's gonna be framed for this murder, and he's innocent. It's a great plot, really, it's a really cool movie. I confess. Recommend it. Um, okay. We got 15 minutes. Do you guys want to do random questions or do you want to try to... I'm not even going to actually give it that option to you. <laughs> but we're just going to... We're going to keep moving because we need to. Okay. So last thing for tonight. Um, so, um, so sacraments is where we're at, right? So you have... Well, we've now f completed our... And we already did this. Sac there's different categories. So there's sacraments of, of oops, initiation. And what this means is that being fully brought into being a member of Jesus Christ, a member of his church, there are three sacraments that you receive that bring you into being a full member of the body of Jesus Christ. Some of you are going to get those at the Easter Vigil, which is so Freaking cool. What do you call that again? Um, the sacramental slam. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so those three are baptism. Confirmation. And Eucharist. So Eucharist, right, is, Eucharist is everything. 
Every other sacrament points to the Eucharist. It is what the Catechism calls the source and the summit. The whole Christian life, we've talked about this, is koinonia, is communion. Everything I desire in life is communion with God and with others, and that's what the Eucharist is. It is everything. It is the beating heart of Catholicism. Every year I'm like, man, I wish RCIA was longer. One of the things we should do still, probably, maybe we'll do this if we have time right at the end of the year, um, is bring in some stories about Eucharistic miracles. I mean, it will blow your mind. Amazing stuff. Okay, those are initiation. Then there's sacraments of healing. The sacraments of healing are, um, the first one is confession. The second one is the sacrament of anointing. So in the Gospels, Jesus sends out the apostles to anoint people with oil and to pray for them to be healed. Um, all seven rites of the sacraments are instituted by Jesus himself during his lifetime. So anointing is all seven sacraments, right? They, they all insert us into the cross. And so what anointing does, and again, this is in James chapter 4, I want to say. James talks about this. But it, um, James says that if anyone is sick, let them call for the priest of the church, and the priest will pray over them, anointing them with oil uh, in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith will heal the sick person, and if they've committed any sins, their sins will be forgiven. So these two are healing sacraments. So when people are in the hospital, if you have a major surgery, if there's any danger of death, you should call a priest, and a priest will come hear your confession, and then he'll anoint you and pray the prayers of the anointing of the sick. I always get these calls at the most inconvenient time possible, and that's okay. They're really good things. So I go to the hospital, I don't know, once a week, Sometimes more, sometimes less. Um, and I go anoint someone, not always in the hospital. Sometimes people are at home. Sometimes people come to Mass and they ask for it. Okay, but what I really want to get to tonight um, is, because it's going to be much more relevant, I think, is the sacraments of, um, at the service of others. So sacraments at the service of others. And so the catechism breaks it down this way. So the last two sacraments, what are they? Marriage and, and priesthood, not orders. So marriage. Okay. And to test you on last time, why do we have seven sacraments? Why not 12? Covenant. Covenant, right? So seven is the number. Does anybody remember the Hebrew name for seven? The word for seven? Yes, but I can't remember <laughs> the word. Yes. yes. Right? So the Hebrew word, the Hebrew word for seven, and this is always quote review. Seven in Hebrew is Sheva. 
Or in Hebrew, B's and V's are interchangeable. Right? And so, Sheva means seven, and it also means another word at the same time. Remember what it means? Oath. And the reason this matters, right, is because when you, when you make a covenant with someone, what's a covenant? I suck you when you guys mumble. I love it. It has a commitment to it, but it's not just a commitment, right? My my Verizon bill is a commitment. <laughs> It has, so an oath is a promise, but it's a, it's a sacred promise. So what a covenant is, it, think of it like a contract. A contract is an exchange of goods and services. A covenant is an exchange of persons. So a contract is I give you, you know, whatever, I don't know how much it costs to pay in a house, but $1,000 and you pay in my house. That's a contract. A covenant is I am yours and you are mine. That's a covenant. The heart of any covenant, not just in uh, Judaism and Christianity, but in anywhere in the ancient world where they talk about covenants, the heart of a covenant is an oath. The day you either got married or get married, the heart of a marriage is your oath, it's your vows. What makes a marriage is his vows. And in your vows, you make a sacred promise to the other person. So the reason there are seven sacraments is because the church is the bride of Christ. And for any Hebrew person, seven is the number of covenant. Right? And so when Jews read the creation story, it's not just kind of cool there's seven days. The creation story means that God is in covenant with the world, and specifically with human beings. Um, if anybody wants to look this up biblically, Genesis 21 is a great place to look at. Genesis 21, where Abraham makes a, a covenant with Abimelech, which could be your next kid's name. <laughs> right? Abimelech, pulling for it. I can't wait for a baptism of Abimelech. Okay. <laughs> But here we go. So that's why there's seven, is that God, right? So to make a covenant in Hebrew, the, a way to translate the word covenant, um, the word covenant, uh, what is the Hebrew for covenant? It's um, berith. Berith in Hebrew, in Greek, it's diatheke. Jews think of it as to make a covenant is to seven yourself. And so God has sevened himself with his children. He has given himself completely to her in a sevenfold way. Okay, so um, we have five minutes. Do you want to start with marriage or holy orders? Marriage. Marriage. Okay. <laughs> of course you do. You don't care about priests. Okay. Okay. So let's do that. Okay. So here's what I'm gonna do really fast. Remember the seven days of creation? Let's do that really quick. Okay, day one, God creates. Heaven to the earth, but he creates what? I heard it. Light. 
light and dark. Day two. Not yet. The sea and the sky. Day three. Dry land. Yep. Say it with confidence. And, it's, and if you're wrong, it's all the more fun. You know? <laughs> like peacocks. God created peacocks. <laughs> okay, day four. He made the sun and the moon. Okay, day five. Okay, birds and fish. Day six, animals and man. And day seven, God rests. Okay. Okay, so here's the thing. So what God does in a lot of things is, and this is the paradigm for Catholics, and it's not just for Catholics. This is the New Testament paradigm. Matthew 5.17, Jesus says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So in the Old Testament, right, remember these things go together. God loves things that go together, just like Jack Johnson, right? Light and darkness go together with the sun and the moon, right? These things go together. And in Genesis 1, 1 and 2, the problem, it says that the earth was formless and void. The first three days deal with the formless nature, and these days deal with the void, the emptiness. Right? So the sun and the moon govern the light and the darkness. The birds and the fish govern the sky and the sea, and animals and mankind govern the land. And at the end, God looks at everything he has made, and it is good. And so creation is all about these things that go together. Right? And the culmination of all of this, and what happens in the creation story, is God walks through, and when he creates, when, you get, when we get here, when he starts creating animals, especially on day six, God starts creating everything according to its kind. So it says, so God created the animals according to their kind, the cattle of the field according to their kind, and the birds of the air according to their kind, the, the fish of the sea according to their kind. It goes through like six of these. It's like according to its kind, according to its kind. And then it gets to man and woman, and it says, and God create, and then God said, let us make man, and you think he's going to say what? According to, according to its kind, but it doesn't. It says, let us make man according to Let's make man in, in our image and our likeness. And so my point here is that God loves these things that go together. The high point of all creation, the thing that goes together more than anything on earth is man and woman. Right? And we're going to get to all the questions around gay marriage and these things. God makes things that are complementary. And then, quick caveat, we're not going to 
people who have same-sex attraction, we're not going to condemn them as evil or anything like that. But God makes things that are complementary. Um, and we'll go into that question in depth when we get there. Next class, hopefully. Um, so the culmination is a marriage. Right? And a marriage um, is the high point of creation, which is why it's the desire of every human heart. Right? Like, a lot of people think priests are just weird and they never desire to be married. Um, I'm never going to leave the priesthood, but I will desire to be married until the day I die. Marriage is what we're created for. We're created for this deep communion with others. To love someone not on a surface level, but to the very depths. That's, and, that, and that's why if, if I do your wedding, you know, I like to preach about this sometimes, depending on your readings, is that marriage in many ways is the fulfillment of creation. Okay, yeah. But, but some might not achieve that, right? Obviously, right. What would that be? Let's talk about that when we get to priesthood. There, we'll talk about why is celibacy so advocated in the New Testament. And we'll talk about how the cross and resurrection changes everything. But for now, hang with me one more minute. In the New Testament, what most people don't know, so I just watched an episode of The Chosen uh, two nights ago, or was it last night? Two nights ago, with my friends the Rudolphs. They love The Chosen. I like it too, actually. I like it a lot. I won't go as far as love, but I like it a lot. Okay, but anyway... Here's what most people don't know. What Jesus Christ does is he elevates and transforms things. A sacrament is something that saves you. Most of you, if not all of you in this room, are called to Christian marriage. Marriage for a Christian is not just, I like you. I always feel like it's like Barney. I like you. You like me. But I, whatever. That's not Christian marriage. In John chapter 1, John chapter 1 starts, and the first thing, first line of John chapter 1 says, anybody know? In the beginning was the Word. John 1, 1. Okay? John 1, John says, first thing he says, in the beginning. What does that echo? Genesis, the first words of the whole Bible, Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning um, was the word. In Genesis 1, how does God create the world in Genesis 1? He speaks it. Let there be light, and there was light. In the beginning was the word. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Right, there's another creation word. All things were made. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the light, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Love that line. Gives me every time. Okay, so John 1, 1 has beginning. There's a word that made all things, and the light shines in the darkness. 
Sounds a little bit like Genesis 1, don't you think? Here's what most people don't know. John chapter 1 has seven days. So if you read John chapter 1 closely, what happens is you read for a little while, and John will say, he'll go through a paragraph or two or three, and he'll say, the next day. And then he'll talk about some things and say, the next day. Um, so uh, he does that in verse 29, and verse 35, verse 43. And he march, marches through until you get to day four. I think he's gone the next day, and yet by the time you get to the end of the next day, you're on day four. And then chapter 2, verse 1 says this. On the third day, which puts you at day seven. Does anybody know what John chapter 2, verse 1 is? Wedding. It's a wedding piece of Canaan. So the Genesis story builds and it builds and God is creating the world and he's making it good and it culminates in man and woman in a covenant that images God. When Jesus Christ, and one of the biggest themes of the New Testament is that Jesus Christ recreates the world. Right, 2 Corinthians 5.17 If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. God wants to remake the world. And we'll talk a little bit more about this next class, but we're going to leave you with this. God takes good things, and he elevates and transforms them. He makes them new. He fills them with salvific meaning. Marriage for Christians, marriage is always good. We believe that marriage outside the church is good. But marriage in Christ is a sacrament, it is elevated and transformed. And here's what we're going to talk about next time, along with other things, is that normal marriage is Barney marriage. I like you, you like me, let's make 18 kids, right? Um, maybe not 18, 3, 2.3, whatever it is. That's, that's normal, there's nothing wrong with that. I, I, I have no judgment for that. Christian marriage is that human love is now on its way to the love of Jesus Christ. And next time, if you want any reading, read Ephesians 5. We're talking about how marriage, Christian marriage, marriage in Christ, is not just natural, it's not just good. It is a marriage that will save your soul. And it will lead you to the love of God. Announcements. Yes. So, <clears throat> what? Um, so I sent an email to the catechumens, candidates, and confirmandi of information that I needed, and a lot of you have already responded, which is great. And uh, it's just important if you can get that to me by Friday, March 12th, especially the online people. Um, and if you, are, if I put that we need a baptism certificate from you, just make sure, try to get that to me by Friday. And if that's a problem, just send me an email. Otherwise, we'll be good to go. If I requested a baptism certificate and you already sent it to me, just say done, like I said in the email, 
and then we're, we're good to go. But otherwise, we're getting close. It's going to be great. And we're planning a little reception thing afterwards, so more details to follow. That's it. We will send out information on the Easter Vigil, all kinds of things. There's a lot to pack in the next couple weeks. Um, we will not end class with Easter. We'll keep going afterwards. So we will deal with a lot of logistical questions you probably have. Um, okay. And the next big thing is the scrutinies continue, like this Sunday, there's another one, and the next yep. Sunday, there's another one. And then the next big thing is the confession retreat. And remind, just remind the people. Yes. Yeah. So there's going to be a confession retreat. So I know you're nervous if you haven't been. If, you, if you're getting baptized, you don't have to go to confession. Everyone will be envious of you because baptism wipes away all of your sins. And you only have to confess sins after your baptism. And um, we will teach you, like, how do you do it? How much detail do you go to, into? We'll do a mock confession. We'll do all those things. Um, yeah, and Patrick just said this, this apocalyptic yes. snowstorm that's coming We'll see. Watch us get one inch with Colorado. Yeah, with it. With but no, if, if that happens and you're watching online, it's okay. We're not going to freak out about that, right? Yeah, scrutinies are, are they're good, but they're not necessary. Yeah. So if you miss a scrutiny, it's okay. Yeah, there's only one more, though, right? Two. There's two more. Two more. This Sunday, next Sunday, and then it's Palm Sunday. Mm. So. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Let us pray. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Uh, Lord, we pray for um, everyone here tonight, those at home. Jesus, give them peace and joy. Give them a deep faith in you. Uh, give them hope and charity. Protect all those who are approaching the sacraments from the attacks of Satan. Give them confidence. Give them courage in your mercy. Uh, we entrust them to you. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be. Love the Father, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Thanks, everybody. See you next week, or see you Sunday, if there's not an apocalyptic snow. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>